This is God's word that transforms lives. And we want to make sure that whatever resources are needed for that are available and are easily accessible for the people that need them. Welcome to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. My name is Rich Fredowski. I'm the Chief Operating Officer here at LBT. Today's conversation is with Carl and Kelsey Grolke. They and their five children are missionaries working in the southern African nation of Botswana. We sat down to talk about missionary life with a big family, their work with various languages in Botswana, and some thoughts on multilingualism and its impact on Bible translation and scripture engagement strategy. Are tsamaing, as they say in Botswana. Let's go. All right, Carl and Kelsey, welcome to the podcast this morning. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to be here. And before we get started talking about some of your ministry and work, I'd like our listeners to get to know you a little bit. Tell us some about your background, what you did previously, how you got involved in Bible translation ministry. Yeah, so we first heard about LVT uh, while we were at seminary. Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, and uh, we were just, when we kind of first heard those statistics about Bible translation and the need there was in the world today with so many languages that don't have a Bible in their own language, we were really kind of blown away, and uh, it kind of kind of just stuck in our minds as like, that's really something that would be an area we would like to be involved with in working in those kinds of things, and so that kind of just stuck in our heads, and Long story short, I guess God kind of worked through a variety of different ways to bring us to working with LBT. Uh, I was a, after I graduated from seminary, I was a pastor in Lincoln, Nebraska for a while. But then when we we really felt God calling us to to join LBT and to help out in that need uh, for Bible translation, and so we kind of we we love we love the organization of LBT and the mission is really important and so we're really happy to be uh, to be working with with LBT. I don't know. Awesome. And how about you, Kelsey? Yeah. So we we grew up together, high school sweethearts, all those things. I went to college for youth and family ministry. After a couple of years after we were done, Carl felt the call to seminary and we ended up there. First year of seminary, we heard about Lutheran Bible translators and. We went, you know, went to our house, our friend's house for free pizza because okay. we heard the recruiter was going to be there with free pizza and found out that this is a really exciting mission. And, uh, and then the next summer we went to the Idiom event. They call it Mission Explorers now, I think. And by the time that was done, we knew if we ever work overseas, we want to work with LBT. But then at the end of seminary, it just wasn't the right time. So we ended up taking a normal call uh, like like all the seminarians do after seminary to Christ Lutheran Church in Lincoln Nebraska it's a great place and we loved it a couple years in we started to feel God's call to something else and well we we had three kids at the time and we knew we wanted to have a fourth one so we said you know let's well let's work on that and then we'll start thinking about where God might be calling us from here and then uh, we found out four kids was going to be five we found out we were pregnant with twins yeah. And as funny as it sounds, that was our big like come to Jesus moment of, OK, what do we really feel like God's calling us to? Mm-hmm. What do we want our lives to look like? What do we think God's calling us into? And we thought, well, maybe it is LBT. But, you know, there's like a million different things that are going to have to 
fall into place for this to be the right thing. So the long story short is, you know, one by one, all of those million things fell into place and we we applied to LBT and were called and then accepted and haven't looked back. Yeah. Very good. And then after some training and uh, inviting churches into partnership with your ministry, you embarked for Botswana. Tell us a little bit about Botswana. We really like living in Botswana. In Botswana, there's about 31 languages spoken among 2 million people. Very sparsely populated country. The country is about the size of the state of Texas. So to give you an idea of how how, how big it is, you can um, kind of imagine 2 million people spread over that amount of area. Yeah, it's quite sparsely populated. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a beautiful area, though. That sparse population gives plenty of room for animals and people to live together in harmony. It's all, you know, all of those beautiful African savanna landscapes you think of, they're in Botswana. Right. It's a very stable democracy. It's got a cool history of setting good precedents for how we're going to use our country's mineral wealth for the betterment of all people. Uh, yeah. Man, we could talk for that about just that for an hour, but uh, right. I suggest you watch the movie A United Kingdom if you want a short history of why Botswana is so cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it's a story about Botswana's first president okay. and how he kind of rose to power and the pieces moving around that. So it's a really interesting, really interesting movie. I think it came out in like 2016 or something like that. Something so. like that, yeah. So we live in northwest Botswana, and that's most of the people in Botswana live in the southeast. So we're up in the opposite corner of the country from where most people live, but it's where the most of the minority languages are around that area of the country. Most of the languages that still do not have any scripture in them are in that area. So we ended up in Maun, Botswana, uh, which we love. It's a big enough town that there's a school there for our kids. There's grocery stores that have everything we need, if not always everything we want. It's just a good place to be, lots of fun for the family, as well as lots of Bible translation work to be done. Yeah, so you uh, mentioned that you uh, ended up going then with five children. And what do you uh, find kind of pros and cons about life with your family in the Botswana context? And right now you're back in the U.S. Uh, You know, what do you find pros and cons about uh, life here versus life over in Botswana? Well, I mean, everything is more complicated with five kids. Yeah. Right. And that, I mean, that goes without saying just to it's just when you're trying to cut when you're trying to do anything, it just takes longer when you've got five kids, regardless. Um, That's true. And so <laughs> you're speaking from experience there, right, Rich? That's very true. Yes. <laughs> but I, I think even though it is a little bit more complicated, there's a lot of there's a lot of joy that comes along with it. We're able to, to kind of bring our kids along with us and explore this beautiful part of God's creation. And and they really like living in Botswana. They do, uh, which makes it like a hundred times easier for us. You know, yeah. if, if the kids if the kids are happy, that just makes it so much better uh, for us as parents to, ha- to have that relief that they enjoy living there. You know, they've got friends, they've got their school that they really enjoy and all those kinds of things. So that that's just great. And really is a is a benefit additionally like just the fact that we have five kids kind of like gives us a little bit of uh, standing in the community you know like we we have you know we have we're married we have five kids that kind of raises our level in the community in Botswana as being 
you know respectable citizens yeah exactly yeah we're we're respect respectable citizens yeah so that that's been really a great bonus for us as well you know there there are hard parts too you know that's not all just wonderful and great it's challenging and you know it's it's not always easy to take five kids somewhere or to work out okay if i'm going here what are we doing with the kids or if kelsey's got a meeting and you know if we've all got things if we've all got meetings and and things like that how are we going to handle this so we have a lot of logistical things on a regular basis that we have to think about but yeah yeah i think as compared to raising them in the u.s it just seems like kids have a longer childhood in botswana our oldest daughter is 11 and she'd be in you know full-on tween mode in the u.s and it seems like kids in botswana they just they stay kids longer they play outside they enjoy uh, the kid activities for longer, and we yeah. love that our kids are getting kind of that longer childhood, a chance to take some natural risks. They're outside so much more than they would have the opportunity to be in America, not to mention their school is very diverse. About half the kids in the school are Botswana local kids who are yeah. from Botswana, and about half are from around the world. So they have classmates from everywhere. So aside from academics, we love that they're learning how to get along with kids that don't look like me or don't think like me um, and what that looks like uh, in their lives. And then on into the future, we feel like that's going to have huge benefits. Probably biggest downside is just being so far from our families. We miss the support of grandparents and aunts and uncles, Mm -hmm. as well as, you know, just being together for holidays and those kind of things which is great while we're back just to have so much time around our families. It's really nice. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Those moments are so much more special when you've been away for a little bit. Yeah. Tell us, tell us some about the work that you've come to do there, the the groups you're working with and some of the stuff you're working on right now. Yeah. So we are working with two different languages in two different Bible translation projects. Uh, one of those languages is uh, Shekhalahari. Uh, which you're somewhat familiar with, with, Rich. And so that that Bible translation project is working in the New Testament, and uh, we are hoping we are re- we are really excited about that uh, because we're uh, really closely approaching the, our goal in publication. And so we're we're working now um, to kind of have our final put. We're hoping that we can kind of finally push toward publication, and then in 2021 we'll be able to launch the Shekhalahari New Testament. Yeah. Um, so we're really excited about that. The the Bakalahari people uh, they live mostly down in the south uh, the southwest part of Botswana uh, out in the Kalahari Desert but they are found all I mean they're found all over Botswana mm-hmm. um, but that's kind of their I don't know their their homeland for lack of a better <laughs> lack of a better word there and so it's been it's been really great to kind of get to know some of those communities and engage with some of the speakers of Shakalahari in those ways. Um, we've been able to travel to a lot of different villages and things like that to do community checking and raise awareness for the Bible Translation Project. And it's been really encouraging and exciting to see people excited about speaking Shekelahati, to pe- see people excited about a Bible translation into Shekelahati. So we're really excited about our hopeful launch for next year and then what the future holds in terms of what we might move on to in in translation and what other opportunities will be available for us uh, in Shikalahari. Yeah, the other language group that we're working with called Shiei, uh, and those those people live more to the north along the Okavango Delta, 
Um, and so that that language group is located a little bit farther north there, mostly there. And uh, we've been really uh, we've been really blessed to be able to work with them as well, and also to kind of have some local leadership there in Botswana, kind of been able to raise up some local leadership there in Botswana to help us in managing that project and thinking about how how we can do these kinds of things and work in these projects. It's been really neat to kind of think about those things. That project is a little bit uh, it's a little bit farther behind Chikalahati, which is which is fine. I mean, there's no need to I'm not comparing them or anything like that, but yeah, there's just that uh, it's it's really neat to see the progress that's being made there as well, especially trying to reach out to those local communities and, and villages and things like that where Shiai is spoken yeah. um, to, to reach out and make those kinds of connections. Uh, is, is, it's so important for the projects to have that those connections because it really promotes community ownership and speaker ownership of not only of their language, but of this Bible translation project as well. Yes. And so I think, I mean, our listeners have or believe that they're familiar with Bible translation. They'll hear that term and uh, expect that that's part of the work. And then uh, Kelsey's role is to come alongside churches and language communities to develop some scripture engagement strategy. So let's talk a little bit about that. First of all, what do we mean when we say scripture engagement? So the goal of scripture engagement is that the translated Bibles aren't just sitting on a shelf that they're in people's hands and in people's hearts. Part of that scripture engagement work, to me, what I call the boring stuff, but is super necessary and has to be in place first, are things like sustainable distribution systems, Mm -hmm. as well as making sure that the the availability is correct. So we, we need to make sure that if we're developing scripture resources, whether it's videos or Bible study materials, or even the book itself, that it's acceptable to the community, uh, that there's not something that sets them off or something that I wouldn't necessarily understand cross-culturally that would make them say, oh no, this is not our resource, this is your resource, so it doesn't really speak to them. (laughs) For example, the Kalanga Bible in in Botswana, the full Bible was launched in 2018. So they have their full Bible. Somewhere along the line in the project, they did a dubbing of the Jesus film, which has been dubbed into a couple thousand languages. It's an evangelistic tool that that a lot of different people have used all all over the world. So they did this big project uh, to translate the script of the Jesus film, and then they get it dubbed over. It's a big project. And I was asking someone about it and she said oh yes we did that and all we have it on is these big boxes and we can't watch it okay (laughs) so they've got it on vhs no one has a vhs player no one even has a dvd player if we want that to be a resource that's in use it needs to be on a micro sd card so people can play it from their phones which most people or many people have smartphones yeah or it needs to be available to stream from something that doesn't require their data because phone data is expensive. So part of scripture engagement is figuring out what will be helpful to people to really come to know the story of Jesus better and in the deepest parts of their heart. We're finding a lot of places hearing the scriptures rather than reading them helps people understand them better. So we're working on audio recordings of the translations as well with the goal that those are available at the same time as the published print book. Most people will want both, that you have the book because it proves that it's God's word and you can see it on your shelf, 
But to be honest, I think most people will interact with scriptures more through an app on their phone or through the audio version. Uh, So that's one of the things I've been working on in scripture engagement is making the audio available through an app as well as the text through awesome resources we have like Scripture App Builder that makes building apps possible for people who have less tech experience like me. Mm -hmm. Uh, But just all those different ways of how do we help people understand that this book has something to do with their lives and that it can trans it's transformative it's not just something awesome in their language which it is and it's not just a huge project that gives them status as a language if if this is for example the first thing printed in their language Mm -hmm. it's not just something that raises their prestige or gives them a sense of community pride which those things are great Uh, But it's also, this is God's word that transforms lives. And we want to make sure that whatever resources that are needed to help people make that shift into God's word is life-giving, that whatever resources are needed for that are available and are easily accessible for the people that need them. Absolutely. Yeah, I think at a, if we think about the work that uh, Lutheran Bible Translators does with our churches and partners, it's to help equip the church to, especially to remove barriers to the gospel, especially those that arise from lack of understanding of the scripture or lack of availability of the scripture in a language more easily understood. So in the one sense, then at a sort of a a broad sense, even Bible translation itself is scripture engagement, but then there is a need to to talk about it in this sense as well, in terms of strategy, distribution, product selection, whether it's at the time of the translation as it's going on, or as you mentioned, the Kalanga one that's already done. Now let's start talking about, well, how else can this be used? So yeah, scripture engagement is, is broad and narrow and really digging deep to uh, equip the church and the people of God to engage that scripture in a transformative way. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So you are working on a master's, right? Yeah. On and off. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) yeah, what a blessing that uh, distance education is the thing, and that's how it was, and now that's that's how a lot of education is going on. So for your uh, master's program, you wrote some about your experiences, Kelsey, in Botswana, and you suggested that the implications of translanguaging should be considered in planning scripture engagement strategy. So tell us a little bit more about that. What does that even mean? Sure, I'll do my best. I'm okay. still learning myself. Okay. But what the understanding is, this whole idea of translanguaging is that we from cultures that tend to be more monolingual have kind of described multilingualism in terms of we we usually talk about code switching. Okay. So, we almost think about it as I have let's say I have my English box and from that box I choose my English words and I speak English, or I could switch into my French box. And I could choose my French words and speak French, or I could choose my Setswana box and choose my Setswana words and grammar and speak Setswana. So as myself, who grew up in a very monolingual culture, that's kind of how I think of language and how, until recently, most linguists have thought about language in in terms of, and when I switch, we call it code switching. So in my brain, I'm going from my English box and then I'm switching to my French box. But as more people who are not from the more monolingual cultures have been studying linguistics, they say, you know, that's not the actual 
lived experience of multilingual people. Okay. Multilingual people have one linguistic repertoire, and it might include grammars and vocabulary from many different languages. And the best way for them to engage, whether that's in education or in church or in studying the scriptures, is in a situation where they are free to use all of their linguistic repertoire. Okay. So a lot of this research has been done for like primary school education and how much better, for example, Spanish speaking kids do when they're welcome to use their Spanish and English language repertoires, which is all one in their brain. And they're, if they're welcome to use more of their full linguistic repertoire, they're going to be more successful in learning. And the same is true for engaging with the scriptures and learning about God and worshiping God. If people are more free to use their full linguistic repertoire, they're going to learn better. It's going to connect deeper to their hearts. Uh, that's a little bit different than our the, the way we kind of talk about it in Bible translation a lot of we need to translate scriptures into people's heart language. Mm-hmm. The challenge in that is we're assuming that each person has only one heart language, which if you've ever worshipped in a language different than your own, you know that you can connect with the Lord in a language that's not your mother tongue, the one you learned first necessarily. So it's this notion of we can only connect with God in our heart language, or we can only connect best with God in our heart language that's being challenged. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean we don't still need scripture engagement or, or Bible translation in minority languages. The full Bible translation projects are still very, very important for scripture engagement and for the communities themselves and for the church. But as we talk about how are we going to help people get these scriptures into their hearts and into their lives, we have to recognize that the world is not monolingual. Right. Most people are going to be worshiping, are going to be studying, are going to be most comfortable conversing about and conversing with God in more than one language. Sure. One time I saw this really in action for us was in our church in Botswana. We attend the Evangelical Lutheran Church in Botswana Mound Branch. Mound Congregation. Mound Congregation. So when we go to church, we have um, speakers of many different languages in church. There's English speakers. There's Setswana speakers. There's people whose mother tongue would be Shikalahari Mm -hmm. and Herero speaker, Herero people, Swahili speakers, There's all kinds of different mother tongues or heart languages in our congregation. Now, some of the hymns, some of the songs we sing are in Setswana. Some are in English. Occasionally, they're in those other languages as well. When that congregation sings in English, there are certain songs that don't go well. Like on Reformation Day, we tried to sing Mighty Fortress. It was really bad. Oh, my goodness. The the melody just did not translate. The words were difficult. Even in Setswana, even in the translated version, it was we were slogging through that song. They could just not connect. Yeah. Turns out people who live in southern Africa have a hard time with a melody and a tune, like a tune and and words from, you know, like 16th century German monk. Weird, huh? Well, in some cases, that's true. But in other times, like when I hear that congregation singing How Great Thou Art in English, that you can feel that it is their heart music. Yeah. 
I can't say because this was not your first language, because it's not your mother tongue, you're not connecting with the Lord as deeply using this song. That's not my place. And that's not what it sounds like. You can tell that the Holy Spirit is at work in each of their hearts singing this song. That is not from their traditional uh, music style. It is not in their traditional mother tongues or heart languages, but they are worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth using that English hymn. And we, even though we don't understand it all, we worship deeply in the Setswana liturgy. Sure. We know what's going on. Yeah. It touches our hearts. We feel like we can commune with the Lord using that, even though it's not our home language. So in scripture engagement, especially in how global our world is today, we have to think a lot about multilingualism and how we can help people engage with scriptures, not just in the first language that they learned or in even in the language they're most comfortable with, but how do we help them engage in scriptures in the same way they talk in normal life, right. which is going to be translanguaging in a lot of cases, switching back and forth between languages, using English words within Setswana grammar or, or, or vice, vice versa. versa. Yeah. <laughs> and that's how people are speaking and how people are understanding the world around them. And we want to make sure that they're free to understand scriptures in the same way. That makes sense. So without putting on the spot, I mean, with if a scripture engagement strategy, if a church or a community uh, has called on you to help them think through some things and you're thinking through the implications of translanguaging, is it at least in part just a matter of not saying, well, let's only use this one language, that, that the availability and every all resources that are available in multiple languages are then on the table? And that would be a shift actually then in scripture engagement strategy from what may have been thought before. Is that is that basically it? Yeah, that sounds fair. I think especially in more urban areas, you're just not going to have a multi, like a monolingual Bible study in most cases. There right. might be times that um, only the Shikalahati speakers would get together and would have a Bible study in Shikalahati. And down where most people are, Shikalahati first language speakers, they might do more of that. But especially in more urban settings, how do we honor each person's linguistic past while still helping everyone be able to engage together in God's word. Yeah, and that that's really fascinating because that also then speaks to another assumption in, in the Bible translation and of things which in, some could understand to be done really in a vacuum and not thinking about the fact that uh, when people have these Bibles and are using them, they're going to sit with other people that have a different language Bible or maybe even you yourself could reference two or three. So now these versions are getting compared and you have to think that through even in the, the translation process is how are people going to look at this and see, yeah, how does this compare with language versions that we already have access to? That there's some implications to think through when even in the translation process there too. Definitely. Yeah. And it's been really good to have it kind of be able like to have this kind of in our minds yeah. as we're doing translation to kind of think about, to be able to think, a little bit of those things like i think ahead so to speak mm -hmm. like to have to be thinking about the scripture engagement stuff before the bible like so that it's part of the bible translation project not what happens after right. we publish you know so that we're thinking about these things as we're doing the project rather than trying to like tack it on to the end it's much more valuable for the translation so that we can anticipate those kinds of things but also for 
the engagement that we're already thinking about how we can do this engagement stuff before we even have the Bible sitting there. So along with that, while we're translating, when we're doing community checking, when we're out reviewing what the translation, what the translators have done, uh, we have, I mean, most people in those community review sessions are at least trilingual. Yeah. They speak some level of English, some level of Setswana and Shikalahari, if we're in that uh, project, working with that project. And that means they are referencing the Bible in different languages as we're checking, which makes things take longer, but ultimately ensures a better translation. Yeah. Yeah. So Sometimes they're doing it, you know, mentally where they're like, you know, oh, if I remember that verse, I remember that verse from this, you know, the Setuana Bible or the English Bible. And it sounds, you know, it doesn't seem like we have, the, we have the same meaning or we have the same thing there. Sometimes they're actually like they've got the other Bible out on the table and they're looking at it while we're yeah. going over the verse and comparing. And which is, you know, which is good. And it's also challenging sometimes because we're trying to focus on certain we're trying to focus on other things when we're doing the community checking. But it still shows it's just an example of how that like like that translanguaging, that multilingual mindset is there, even is even for people for whom, you know, this is, you know, Shakalahadi is their primary language. Absolutely. So, Kelsey, your paper also dealt with a little bit with multilingualism in conjunction with urbanization, which is a huge field of study that a lot of folks have touched. But just uh, curious, what are some factors that you see leading to urbanization or culture shift in Botswana that you've observed in your time uh, living there? A lot of it has to just do with the economics mm-hmm. in bigger cities. That's where the jobs are. Sure. And it's becoming more and more necessary for people who maybe have been farmers to have some kind of outside income. So it might be uh, people tend to live more with their extended families and in closer relationship with their extended families. So while they might traditionally have been subsistence farmers, it's becoming more and more necessary to have some money so that your kids can pay their school fees and you can be engaged in the larger community. So you can buy data for your cell phone. Uh, People have more monetary needs than maybe in the past. So more of the family is moving to the city where they can get more jobs like that. I think that's the primary one in Botswana. The city where we live in Maun is a tourist area. So a lot of people will come to Maun because they know that they can get a job working for some sort of, you know, some sort of safari company or a lodge that's there or something like that, where they know that they can get a job. And then also for a lot of them, they have a chance to work on, you know, work on their English work on, you know, so that they're able to improve their English skills, which hope they, which hopefully will allow them to kind of move up or to find other employment that, relies on them being fluent in English again that's I mean that's just kind of part of life in a in a tourist in a in a tourist town is that um that kind of figuring out how to work around those tourists and how we can you know how we can engage with them and kind of tap into that economy so to speak yeah I think the other big factor is just the globalization uh, how much more connected our world is absolutely Um, People know more about how other people in other parts of the world live and work yeah. for better or for worse. And it is for both. <laughs> there's good things that come out of it and there's bad things that come out of it. But they see how other people in other parts of the world live and they might want parts of that. They might say, you know, the way that Americans do this part of life, I really like that. I'd like to 
do more of that and in the urban areas are where they can be more global citizens or uh, live more of a Western lifestyle, for better or for worse, like I said. So as you've spent some time in Botswana, what do you think the church here in the West can learn from some of the folks that you've worked in in your missionary service? I think one of the most important things that we want people to know about the church, especially, I mean, in Botswana and even around the world, is that the church is alive and well. Like in Botswana, um, 75% of the people there identify as Christians. And there are churches, vibrant churches in every single village I've been to in Botswana. There are pastors who are very talented preachers who are very engaged with their local communities. I mean, the Lutheran Church in Botswana has evangelists as like an official role where they have people who are called and sent out to do evangelism in villages like I think that that is an important thing for people to realize, like, you know, there's this idea that as missionaries, we're the ones that go and share the gospel with all these people who don't know it, don't know it. And in fact, that's like the opposite of what we do. We are not like front lines evangelist, evangelists. Yeah. That's not what we're there to do. We are there as support people. You know, we want to help translate the Bible. We want to help put the tools into the hands of the people who are doing that work so that they can do the best work that they are called to do, you know, to have that Bible translation in the language that they're speaking so that they can evangelize in it, so that they can share the gospel. You know, I am incredibly thankful for the church there and the way, the passion that they have for reaching all these places. You know, the the Shekhalahari Bible Translation Project started as an outreach of the Lutheran Church in Botswana, as we want to reach this people group. How can we do that? Well, translate the Bible into their language. And so, you know, realizing that and knowing that the church around the world, the church in Africa, the church in Botswana, like, I think a lot of people in the West have a warped perspective of what it looks like when, in fact, it is very vibrant. It is full of people who people who love God, people who are passionate about scripture, people who are passionate about the gospel. And it's just so it's so incredibly refreshing to have to experience that, um, to see that to see that passion and to see that that joy that people have is, is just a wonderful thing. I agree. Along those same lines, the kingdom of God is going to be just fine. Right. (laughs) As the church is in a time of shift in the Western world or decline, sometimes people talk about being afraid of the death of the church or being a post-Christian nation. And those are, you know, big, scary things to throw around. But the kingdom of God is fine and it will continue to grow God will be just fine, even if for some reason every single church and Christian in America were to go away, God's kingdom will still come and God is still at work in the world. As we see kind of this global shift of Christianity to the South, as Bible translators in particular, we feel like it's our responsibility to share with our brothers and sisters who are taking up the mantle of church leadership in the world and to give them the best possible resources to be the leaders of of the global church. Uh, So we have so many amazing 
commentaries and Bibles and all kinds of amazing resources in the West to help people learn the gospel and to know about the Bible. Our job as Bible translators is to make sure that our brothers and sisters in the global South have the best possible resources as they kind of take over as the leaders of the global church. Absolutely. Excellent. As you look ahead, uh, what are you most excited about in your work? Well, as I look at the translation side of our projects, I mean, I'm excited for I'm excited for a launch of the New Testament. It's going to be an exciting thing. We've been working on this translation, you know, with this New Testament translation project for years now. And we're really excited to kind of reach that milestone of being able to launch and publish the New Testament. And so we're really excited about that. I think it's going to be a great thing for a lot of the Shekhalahadi speaking communities where they're able to um, see, you know, to have something in their language. I think yeah. it's going to do a lot to really boost the church and um, the excitement that people have for it. We're hoping that we're hoping and planning uh, that we'll be able to continue uh, into the Old Testament. And so we're starting to think about, OK, well, what does that mean? You know, the old, <laughs> the old Testament is twice as long as the New Testament. So that's going to yeah. be a big undertaking. And mm-hmm. so maybe we need to make what kind of changes do we need to make? What can we do to get ready for shifting into a different year for looking at that for looking at that project um, or for that new part of this project? And so thinking yeah. about that are the things that I'm. I'm really excited about the the people, the translators that we work with in Botswana are just really they're wonderful. Uh, I I I love to I love to brag, um, yeah. especially when I'm among especially when I'm among people from LBT. You know, like we probably have one of the most talented set of translators in <laughs> in maybe any LBT project. They are just so incredibly skilled, and I should say, there I should I should say who they are. Um, their their names are Ponso and Swarhanang, and they are just incredibly talented. And we're so blessed um, by their skills and abilities that they have, not only just in Shikhalahari, but also in Shiei. The translators there, Kiene and Motwasele, are excellent translators as well. And so yeah. it's just such a joy to work with people who are good at their jobs and care about their language and really are invested in these projects just as much as we are. Yeah, I think I'm most excited about the untapped potential in Botswana. There's a lot of very smart people who are educated and who care a lot about the Bible and care about the church and the Lord's message going forth in Botswana. And we are positioned to be able to help them reach their potential uh, as far as education or jobs or places, plugging them into places that they can uh, use their skills and their gifts to spread the gospel to their own people. And there is so much potential there that I'm just so excited to explore. Absolutely. As your family uh, continues to work in in, uh, ministry, what is the role of the Bible in your lives? And how does that speak to the way you approach your work? Okay, for me, like studying the Bible cross-culturally, like and honestly engaging with scripture when we're talking to people who have a different, entirely different lived experience of the world means that the Bible isn't what I thought it was necessarily. Okay. And it doesn't need to fit into my Western genres and Mm -hmm. my Western ideas of what scholarship is or what religion is 
or even who God is for the Bible to still be life changing and and meaningful in my life. Sure. And like the way that God speaks to me, like it. And when I honestly engage with scripture, thinking cross-culturally, most of what I thought I knew about scripture eventually falls away because most of what I thought about scripture is from a specifically Western point of view okay. and a specifically like from within our own culture and our own time and what we feel like has been, oh, this is the traditional interpretation of this passage. Well, turns out it's not. <laughs> and our traditional, maybe our traditional um interpretation of this passage is at best 150 years old <laughs> right yeah so, yeah so it really opens up this idea that what if there's more and what are the implications of that yeah um, it changes how faith looks and it changes how i study the bible yeah and i don't know how to fit that into a podcast answer and i just I started think that worked i think that worked pretty well okay <laughs> carl yeah. you have anything you want to add to that yeah i i think for me, thinking about, you know, the impact of the Bible in my my life and my ministry and those kinds of things, it's just, it really has been a huge blessing to have the opportunity to live in this, this cross-cultural environment where you do have a chance to kind of see how other people interpret things and how other people see things and how other people's experiences shape how they look at the, at the scriptures. And and even, you know, one of the things that I love most about Bible translation is that there are so many different ways that our language helps open the scripture deeper to us. You know, I went I went to seminary, I learned Greek, I learned Hebrew, and that opened up the scriptures in a way that I hadn't had before. You know, it's like, oh, it's incredible to learn about the meanings of these words and how there's all these things going on that you don't get when you just look at an English translation. Not that an English translation is bad, but it's just because of language, it just can't communicate. You just can't communicate everything in every single language. And so to have, you know, it works that way. But then also when we go, it works the other way because we translate the Bible into these other languages and these other languages have incredibly wonderful and beautiful ways of describing things or classifying things or, you know, explaining things about who God is and why that matters and all these kinds of things where it's just, it just opens your eyes in an incredible way um, to to have this, this multilingual experience of the Bible to see how, and to see how that impacts not only the, not only the people who read those languages but also you as you learn these things about that it's just incredible to see how much more there is to learn about god when we translate the scriptures into another language yeah absolutely so we have folks listening who may be considering um, how they could get involved further in bible translation ministry maybe by uh, praying or by uh, giving financially, and maybe even some who are considering missionary service, what advice would you have for folks that are looking at next steps and how to get involved more in this kind of ministry? Step one, pray. I think that's one of the most freeing things of um, becoming part of LBT. I always told God, mm-hmm. like, I will do anything you want, but don't make me be in one of those jobs where you have to fundraise your own salary. And here we are. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The fact that God does what God wants to do is a good thing. 
I think as far as like when we visit churches or talk to people that are thinking about supporting Bible translation in one way or the other, you know, it is so freeing to believe with all my heart that God knows what God's doing. And not everybody's going to be called to give to Bible translation or to go be a Bible translator. God calls all of us to different things. And I don't need to be afraid of that. I don't need to... You know, if somebody's not feeling called to give to Bible translation, that's fine. God will call them to give in another way. And the freedom of that is so wonderful. Just know that God will prompt you to be involved where you need to be involved and to pray where you need to pray and maybe even to go. God's got it. Yeah, I think that's been one one of our biggest experiences is just seeing how God provides um for for what what's going to ha- like what God wants to happen. You know, God will provide for what God wants to happen and whether, you know, for for us that was every little one of those things falling into place for us to join yeah. LBT. And mm-hmm. for us it has also been we've managed, you know, we have a our our budget, you know, like we've managed to meet our fundraising goals every year that we've been with LBT. It's just been a huge, yeah. a, a wonderful blessing to us to have that um, experience and to know, like, and kind of like that confirmation that yes, this is what God is calling us to do because He is providing for us to do it. And so that's just been a wonderful lesson that we've learned many times through our lives and our ministry and and those kinds of things. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Carl and Kelsey, so much for your time, for being with us today. It's great to hear some about uh, how God's at work in your lives, and uh, especially with your colleagues in Botswana, too. So thanks for your time. Thank you, Rich. Yeah, thank you. Thanks to Carl and Kelsey Grolke for being on the podcast today and sharing about your involvement in God's mission in Botswana. We pray for the scripture projects nearing completion and for the Christian church throughout Botswana as the Holy Spirit prepares the hearts of the people to know Jesus as he is revealed in scripture with no barriers in the language that speaks most deeply to them. Thank you for listening to the Essentially Translatable podcast brought to you by Lutheran Bible Translators. Look for past episodes of the podcast at lbt.org slash podcast or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow Lutheran Bible Translator's social media channels on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or go to lbt.org to find out how you can get involved in the Bible translation movement and put God's Word in their hands. The Essentially Translatable podcast is edited and produced by Andrew Olson and distributed by Sarah Lyons. Our executive producer is Amy Gertz. Podcast artwork is designed by Caleb Rodewald. Music written and performed by Rob Veit. I'm Rich Radowski. So long for now.